everybody. Welcome back to Burger Bants. We're up to episode five of series two, and it's the penultimate episode of the series. Today, I'm talking to Calixta Kalanda, farmer and founder of Flourish Produce. Hello, Calixta. Hi. <laughs> Thank you for having me. I'm in Calixta's little cottage here in Hildersham. Super cosy, it's lovely. <laughs> so thanks for letting me come and talk to you yeah, and giving me the time. I'm going to start where I start with everybody, which is childhood food memories. What were you eating growing up? Um, and have you got any like memories of you know, childhood dishes that you cooked or that your family had? Um, such a good question. <laughs> um, it's interesting. I've been sort of thinking back to when I was a child and you know, my mother, as amazing as she is, she's not the best cook. And, um, you know, obviously she managed to feed us healthily and um, she had vegetables growing in the garden. So we'd eat a lot of like homegrown stuff, which was, you know, we always thought was the best in the world, um, whether it was a leek or strawberries or potatoes. Um, but in terms of sort of amazing food that made me fall in love with it I'd say definitely not my mother's without <laughs> wanting to be mean if she's listening um but I do think there are a few sort of other people in my life who when I was a child were amazing and my Swedish grandma was one of them okay yeah I didn't see her that often um because obviously she lived in Sweden but whenever she'd come she'd do amazing baked goods would make them together um you know, things like saffron buns, the cinnamon cakes, and these incredible little biscuits that we used to paint with different colours of um, icing sugar with toothpicks. Um, and so, you know, for, you know, I think my grandma's influence was huge in terms of like amazing, delicious treats that were really special. And those were always around kind of special occasions like birthdays and Christmas and stuff. Um, and then other than that, I just, you know, school food, eat food at home, nothing just sort of basic normal stuff nothing extravagant nothing you know that was really inspiring so I wish I had some sort of inspirational person <laughs> who inspired me but I mean maybe partly just growing up in the country and eating like strawberries out of the garden in itself was a very special amazing thing that yeah I mean it's idyllic isn't it yeah it's an idyllic upbringing having that special relationship with your grandmother like you said you didn't see her very often but then your yeah. memories being based around these lovely things that she would yeah. make did you make them with her so you were very yeah. much involved in it as well yeah yeah I think it's so lovely and I was the same my grandmother was in, from Yorkshire but we didn't see her a lot but my memories of her are her of her in the kitchen making stuff like whatever it was it could be yeah. a stock it could be because she used everything that That's nothing so cool, went to yeah. waste mm -hmm. and she would make you know the jam tarts like cakes she'd make cakes that I've only ever eaten from her and I've never wow. seen them like anywhere else so I'm thinking did she just make them up or it's really it's kind of like strange but really mm. nice because you have these lovely memories don't yeah. you and they never they'll never be replaced and especially no. with, with things that you're saying they were Swedish so it's not like you can just nip down the road and kind of recreate yeah. what you made with her you can't yeah and I think also I guess the part of it is sort of taking the time to be with someone and actually the process of making that thing is yeah. really special because obviously you know whipping up some delicious cakes is one thing but having to take a child through that process of not making sure the kid doesn't screw it up I mean you know, uh, that's yeah. so special in itself and yeah. I think in a way maybe that's why it's being part of the whole process why these some you know we all have these little childhood things that are super sort of stuck in our minds forever I read this really lovely thing and it's I feel like I'd be too rushed with my children and I don't really cook and bake anyway 
but if I did I think I'd get like highly stressed pretty quickly and I think um, there's this lovely thing that I read about grandparents because they're older and they're slightly slower I'm generalizing but yeah um, they have more time for the children's because the children yeah. are slightly slower and I just thought that's, that's completely amazing. right like with walking yeah. with doing anything like that there's yeah. this slowness where you actually have the patience to to be with the children and to take them through the process yeah. where most of the times the mothers are just so fraught doing everything else that they don't have yeah. the time yeah so yeah I really liked that and I thought it was really true for me and obviously yeah, for you as well definitely yeah oh that's that is lovely yeah <laughs> did you have make the cardamom did you make like cardamom, yeah, cardamom buns? buns and they're like my favorite I know the saffron ones as well where you know obviously there'd be this like yellow color from mm. the actually this um, year I'm planting saffron crocuses for the first time so that we can harvest our own saffron probably not be enough to sell because we're going to be out there with little tweezers p- taking off all the stamens but yeah I, I wanted to grow it because I was like how cool to grow our own saffron and then make saffron buns my grandma's no longer alive so I probably would butcher the buns at the end but anyway it's not I nice love that idea. no that's gorgeous that's such a gorgeous thing to do yeah oh amazing so I'll let you know how that yeah goes. I love that no I love that um, well, let's get into, so Flourish, so Flourish Produce. Tell us about this. Tell us, when did you start Flourish? What's the kind of the journey up to starting it for you? Okay, so Flourish started in 2017, um, but I'll just take you back a little bit. Um, yeah, I'll so get comfy, I'll get comfy. Um, but I, when I sort of left school, I didn't follow the same trajectory as a lot of people where they'd like go to uni and sort of, get into their careers I didn't basically know I wanted to do Um, and so I ended up kind of just getting jobs working a bit and traveling and I realized very quickly um, that it's not what I wanted to do uh, for very long and um, also just the I guess issues in the world with um, human beings impact on the environment were really clear especially if you're like in places like India for example which is super overpopulated um, and there's like rubbish everywhere and quality of life is so so different to how it is here Mm -hmm. mainly because of you know the resources people have access to you know all of that stuff Mm -hmm. comes over very very clearly and so I knew I wanted to basically do something about it and it seemed to me that farming was an amazing way of doing something to help growing food in the right way to feed people but also to look after you know one's environment where one is um, and so I started looking at courses in England because um, I thought it'd be good to sort of get an education in it rather than just going off and trying to volunteer in places. Um, and I couldn't find anything here that wasn't sort of a very traditional, conventional path. Um, like a horticultural... Yeah, it was either horticultural yeah. or it was like conventional arable. And I did not want to be at that point. I thought the idea of growing massive field of wheat was not my thing. Yeah. Um, but I looked a bit further afield and found an amazing college in America, um, which was like a, so I did a degree there. I went there, did a degree in sustainable agriculture and sustainable forest management. And it was really there that my life, I think, you know, really changed um, trajectory in that the place that this university was, was in the Southern Appalachian Mountains. I don't know if you've ever been there. I haven't. So where exactly is this? So East Coast, South. So you've got that rich Southern culture. Uh, it's quite rural, but I was near a, a city called Asheville that's quite, um, 
you know, really forward North, thinking. South Carolina. North Carolina. Carolina. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's in beautiful mountains, but like a really amazing progressive city where there's loads of small businesses, loads of amazing food, loads of microbreweries, like really cool stuff going on. Yeah, it's it really interesting because um, one of my brother's ex-girlfriends um, lives in Asheville. No yes, way. and yeah. he's been there, and I remember him saying to me, yeah. "It's really cool. There's loads of microbreweries. There's loads <laughs> yeah. of like, everything you've just yeah, saying." And it was complaint. yeah, and it was Asheville. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but the interesting thing about it, it's also plonked. This sort of incredible city where there's like so much going on and so much energy is plonked in this really old-fashioned rural area where there are these old farms in the mountains. People have been you know, doing things for generations and generations. Um, and so it's a really interesting place um, to be. And I was there studying and then working on farms and kind of learning about like f food and obviously farming um, and that kind of thing. And then from there moved on to a few other places around the state. So I was in Hawaii doing tropical fruit production for a bit. Oh my days, that sounds <laughs> incredible. Which is, um, yeah, incredible. Um, and then was in Massachusetts for a while as well. And then did a few other sort of like short stints in other areas. So really immersed yourself in yeah. as much as you could. Because yeah. that's Hawaii's kind of there, Massachusetts <laughs> is over there. And yeah. you were, yeah, so you kind of went. That was got... definitely like the point. I wanted to try, you know, I wasn't having a holiday. I was working really, really hard. Mm -hmm. um, and the idea was just to learn as much as I could from as many farmers as I could in as many climates as I could. Because in my mind, I was thinking, well, with climate change, it'd be really interesting to learn about what happens in Hawaii when there's, <clears throat> excuse me, not enough water. Um, and so how do you manage that farming system? You know, so that's kind of what I was really driven to do is just gathering as much information and, and experience. Um, and then I came to visit my parents for Christmas um, and a friend said, oh, you should visit this guy in Cornwall who grows vegetables with working horses. And actually in Massachusetts, that's what I'd been doing. It was a 150 acre farm um, that was amazing. They did everything just with, with working horses from sort of like snow rolling in the winter, logging, um, and then all the sort of food production as well. It was a really, really amazing place. Um, and it's really unusual, like not many farmers are using working horses instead of tractors. Mm -hmm. So I went to visit this guy in Cornwall and he gave me his horses, Phil and Ben. It was like, you know, I was not expecting that. It was amazing. Oh my... And that's okay, well, so you kind of you got in contact. Was like, I'm going to come and yeah, I'm interested so what, in this. Yeah. I'm going to come and see, to see you. what you're doing in England whilst I was visiting my parents for Christmas. And then you went and spoke to him. Yeah, and, and he then, showed me around. And then was at the end was like, "Do you want the horses?" Because he didn't. He he was sort of moving on to something else in his life. That's incredible. And yeah. how fortuitous! I know. Like it's like the stars aligned and at that moment. That it really kind is. of opened I'm, itself up to you. Never planned that really. No. Um, and so that is why I was like. You know, in this really, oh, it was just such a difficult <laughs> situation. I was like, this is my dream, but I also had a life in America. So anyway, made the decision to leave the States. Um, and yeah, so I like went back there, packed up all my stuff. Um, I didn't have any equipment to farm with the horses. So I went to the Amish actually um, and bought some of their old equipment, had it shipped over in a shipping container. And then, um, yeah, basically started working away at Flourish. So when you started, you <coughs> had the two horses from Cornwall yeah. and you were using Amish yeah, equipment. Equipment. That's incredible. <laughs> I love that. That's so cool. 
I know, it's very... So now, days, you know, Bill and Ben are retired, so we don't use them, but we've still got all of their equipment and the horses are still here on the farm just enjoying their golden Retirement, years. yeah. yeah eating <laughs> endless boxes of carrots that are not good enough for the restaurants. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's sort of why Flourish began as it did. And then in the beginning, it was just me and the horses. And then over time, we've sort of grown and evolved. And obviously now we're a bit bigger <laughs> and are doing more things and have... Um, yeah, we use tractors, not horses at the moment, and that kind of thing. So what was it, what were the first things that you started growing with Bill and Ben? Um, salads. So I was thinking about, in the beginning, um, you know, I had no customers. I had, no, you know, basically no idea what I was doing in some ways, even though I had been farming for, um, for like five years before. Um, but I was thinking about what crops are really like fresh and delicious and that show the difference between something that you'd buy in a supermarket and something that you'd get fresh from a farm. Mm -hmm. So I did lots of things like salads and lovely baby radishes and edible flowers and things like that. Um, and then I am obsessed with really rare, weird and rare vegetables. Um, and so, of course, I was growing those. And I, there's one thing that's so interesting. I remember sort of my first year, I grew lots of something called Seltus. I don't know if you've heard of it. No. But I'll explain. It's a Chinese stem lettuce. Okay. So it's um, sort of this long stalk, which is quite thick. Um, and then the top, it's sort of got these leaves that shoot out kind of like a palm tree. Okay. And the flavor, you eat the stalk. I mean, you can eat the leaves too, but the idea is the stalk is the edible part and it's nutty and like nothing else. So delicious, fresh, crisp, um, and really, you know, unusual. Not many people have, have um, seen one before but also quite versatile you can use it like you can a cucumber basically yeah this does sound yeah it sounds very versatile yeah it sounds almost like celery it's like yeah but it's more like the texture is very different because it's like one thick tube um i'll have to get a yeah, yeah 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 um but anyway so and i and i was like i love saltus i know everyone's gonna love saltus and of course i couldn't find anyone to buy the saltus so I just, that's such a funny memory from my first year of me being so sad of like, what do I do with all this stuff? And now we can't grow enough of it because everyone wants to use cell too. So it's funny how like times have changed. And now you're really like smug, like, like yes, yes, I, yes. Knew, I knew you'd come around <laughs> one day. <laughs> um, so yeah, those are some of the really early things. Um, and it's been interesting because also like over the years, initially I was like never going to do sort of like bulk boring things like onions and garlic because you know, why would anyone want to buy them from us when they can get them elsewhere? You know, a carrot, oh, not a carrot, like a, a garlic bulb is really a garlic bulb, mm -hmm. whether it's grown here or not. Um, but actually, it's been interesting seeing how our crop choices have changed. And yeah. there's people do want to buy garlic from us just and the big storage onions that you get in winter that seem pretty boring. Um, and so that's really nice to be now at this point, not just having to do really delicate, like nice, specialized, specialized stuff. stuff, but also like, you know, larger scale food to yeah. feed people yeah and so i'm yeah i'm really loving seeing that evolution happen in the way that flourishes. and i guess it's a really good balance as well yeah because you've kind of maybe it's different markets even maybe so you've yeah. got certain places that are going to be yeah. buying the saltus yeah. from you <laughs> and then someone else another market is going to be buying the big onions from you yeah. so yeah i love that i yeah. love that seeing it the grow and like you said the evolution um what's your favorite thing to grow what's like 
Oh, if we just, or was it the soul tubes? No, tubes? no, no. I mean, for me, this is such a hard question because I feel like I have to choose between my children. Is it, yeah. <laughs> <And> <laughs> I was going to say that. You know, and, and also I think it's very much a seasonal thing. Yeah. Because, you know, we grow over 800 varieties here throughout the year. Wow. And things, you know, every year, some years things are great and they're not so great in other times. And so can I say a few? You can say as many as you, we could go by the seasons if you want. So in winter it's this, in spring it's this, but yeah, as many as you want. Um, okay, well, I'll go for a couple. So this time of year, it's radicchio mm -hmm. um, because, you know, in some ways it's humble. It just looks like a lettuce, but when you peel back the sort of discolored, slightly rotty outer layers inside is the most amazing pink, purple, mm. beautiful, fresh, um, well, it's, you know, kind of lettuce head, even though it's not really lettuce. Um, and I just think they're visually stunning. They make everyone so happy because they're so colorful. Mm. They're delicious. I love the bitterness of them. Um, so, you know, and they're just sort of in the winter when everything's a bit gray and miserable, so joyous to be growing those. Um, and then in the summer, you know, cherry tomatoes are just epic. Oh. Um, and I, you know, love growing those. It's just everyone also gets so happy whether they're growing them or picking them, eating them. You know, the chefs love them. There's one variety that we grow that's called Sun Golds. And they're these, you know, little smaller golden orbs um, of just, oh my gosh, they're so sweet. The flavor's like nothing else. It's such a shy, uh, high sugar content. And they're quite hard to grow because they're, you know, were bred for flavour, so they've got really thin skin, so a lot of them will split, which therefore you can't sort of sell. Mm -hmm. But the flavour of them is just the best in the world. And um, so, yeah, I love growing those. And then another crop that's a bit different um, is that we've recently started growing wheat um, on the farm as well. Um, and I'm partnering with Helen Holmes, um, who is this amazing um, wheat expert farmer and so we're, we're partnering together for sort of like the flourish grain side of things um but some heritage wheats things like you know maris widgeon and rye and um you know stuff from like the yq population so these really old strains that are very different from the commercial wheat that's grown everywhere else and again it's funny because i said in the beginning that the idea of growing a field of wheat would be just horrible for me in the beginning but now i'm so excited about growing you know, wheat, which will ultimately become flour and then bread for people. I was just going to say, yeah. is that the plan? So you can grow the yeah. wheat, made into flour, and then it will be made into bread. Yeah. That can be then be so, sold. Yeah, exactly. So one of the things that we're working towards with Flourish is the idea of being a full diet farm. So uh, obviously we have started with growing produce and um, things like fruit, um, herbs and salads, and now we do cut flowers, we're doing grains. The idea is that we, we will grow on one farm basically everything that's possible to grow in this climate and country to try and, you know, fulfill as full of a diet as possible. Um, and obviously that's amazing because for us it's so exciting and dynamic and there's loads of crops going on, there's, you know, um, lots of sort of like abundance, but also in terms of ecologically, those crops can work together, like a waste product of one can be used to make compost for something else. The rotation is really good for the soil and ultimately, you know, diversity, biodiversity is the most important thing at the moment in yeah. helping with regenerative agriculture and climate change. So that's sort of the longer term uh, vision of what we're moving into. And the wheat is a huge part of that because, mm -hmm. you know, we all eat bread. It's sort of like such a substantial part of our diet. 
Um, and I think to be able to grow really interesting wheat that are super nutrition, you know, nutritionally rich for people um, is just such an exciting thing. And, and all of the things that you grow and the wheat, are they all native to the UK? So, no, yes. no. I'd say. Okay. So we, we um, in terms of our produce, we grow mm. things from all over the world. Mm -hmm. And um, the wheats that we grow are, I mean, we've, I think we've got one that's from Eastern Europe, like mm -hmm. a purple wheat. Um, and there are, we've been experimenting a little bit with things like buckwheat and quinoa, mm -hmm. which are, I, I'm not actually sure about the history of buckwheat, mm. but I know that quinoa is from obviously like South America. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think, you know, it's really interesting, the idea of growing things in a place. And then if you save those seeds and plant them again, you're kind of like building this resilience to the place where you're growing them yeah. within the seed because you're kind of like growing your own seed for it. Mm -hmm. um, and we do buy in most of our vegetable seeds. You know, we, we aren't able to sort of save them all ourselves. But that's something that we're just looking towards as well with our, as the seasons change um, and things aren't expected, like we can't guarantee to have frost or we get floods or all these things we yeah. need to have really resilient varieties that are probably from other areas of the world that mm -hmm. are used you know can withstand really dry periods or really wet periods yeah yeah I love yeah. it it's so interesting <laughs> are you really proud of what you've achieved here I mean I assume you are because it is great like what you've done over the last and it's not very long it's what 2017 you said you started yeah it's yeah not a long kind of time no. at all um, and you know you've created this really like beautiful space. You're, you know, you've got employees and volunteers that want to come and work for you, and you're supplying some of the best restaurants in London with your produce. You should be incredibly, <laughs> incredibly proud of what you've achieved. Yes, yeah, so, uh, that's it's in a way a difficult question because um, I think it's amazing how much over the years we've grown, and you know I think so much of that is about the people who've been involved with Flourish. Um, all the people that have worked here, you know, the volunteers that have come. Um, my brother, who is like basically runs the business with me as a silent me, you know, so he's so sort of in the background. But um, and then also, you know, our amazing customers and people who have, you know, supported us and supported the business aspect of it, mm -hmm. um, like, you know, over the years. And I think that it is such a team effort um, that's made it happen. Um, so, I don't know, I feel, and I also on the other side of that is I feel like there's so much more we need to do. So I think it's sort of, we're very much in a, in a process of going and I don't feel like, I mean, I am proud, but also I'm, you know, I'm not sort of sitting back thinking, look what we've done necessarily. It's You're more, thinking, what, look, yeah, what, what do we, we need, need to do? To do. Yeah. And, um, you know, as I said, it's just so much about this idea of a team effort and yeah like with any businesses like people come into it and come out of it and everyone that's been part of flourish whether it's yeah like a delivery driver or somebody who's been here as a grower or the guy who helps me fix my tractors you know everybody is essential mm -hmm. and without a piece of that puzzle like you know things wouldn't be here where they are of course it's like all the cogs work yeah. together and yeah. all of them are equally important yeah yeah um so yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. And I think, you know, obviously the whole industry has really suffered in the last couple of years. Yeah. And I think we've had a pretty hard time too. Um, I think not as bad as many others, mm -hmm. but we had like a really, really bad flood on the farm this year. 
um, and suffered quite a lot of crop loss. And I think in some ways those, you know, thinking to that sort of situation where things don't go to plan is also really important because we're still here, which is amazing, like getting through those like really tough times. The restaurants are still here and still like trading and still like supporting farms like ours, which is amazing. Um, but it's that resilience, which to me is something that I'm almost like more proud of is, yeah. you know, those times when things are so difficult or like, your amazing customers are, like calling you and having to like cancel every order they've just put in um, because it's like another lockdown mm. or, you know, and it's devastating for them. And then for us, like, you know, when we had that flood walking around and it was just like, you know, was heartbreaking. Just, yeah. I mean, yeah. Every, all of that work, all the teams work that whole year just washing away mm. down the hills all of the soil that we've been trying to nurture um but you know that idea of like every little thing that happens makes you a bit stronger a bit more resilient you have a little bit more of a well, you, you know, learn from learn it you from get it. knowledge from it you exactly. learn from it you and again, even with your suppliers you know you you build up these relationships with them yeah. and they will come back to you yeah they'll always they know that your product's good yeah they trust what you do yeah they're always going to come back to yeah. you and I think another thing is, um, you know, one of the sort of old local farmers around here who's, um, you know, doing things quite differently to how we do it here, but, you know, still a good friend. He was saying, oh, you've got to take the sweet with the sour. Mm. And I think there's something about as well the experience of time. Like if, you know, someone like him has been farming for decades and decades, you know, he's been Seen through it all, ups and downs. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. so these sort of like freak weather situations um, or, you know, Pandem- I mean, not that there's necessarily been a pandemic before, yeah. <laughs> but you know, going through that, you kind of realise like everyone's gonna get through it. You know, you're made of like stronger you know, more stuff. than that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But at the time, it's sort of like, oh my gosh, what's happening? Yeah. Um, and so, you know, seeing how Flourish has got through all of that stuff's been amazing. Seeing how, you know, the industry, with despite all the struggles that it's facing, is still supporting us has been amazing. And those things I remember a lot more. You know, I look back and I'm like, wow, that's really something that's amazing. And I think it's one of those things that without the pandemic, lots of these lessons wouldn't have been learned. Right. And lots of these, like we were saying with, with your, you know, um, the restaurants and, and the people that you supply to, again, without them closing, without all these things, as much yeah. as it was a really, really awful time, a terrible time, um, I've said this before, there's like so many positives that can come out of it Yeah. Um, in so many different ways. And like you said, yeah. learning lessons all the time and um, and just and, and being really grateful for what you've got and grateful yeah. that you can move through it. And yeah. I think that it, I, I think it's really important. And yeah. that's exactly obviously what you've done. I mean, I think because you're you're farming, you're like open to the elements that you, there are things way beyond your control happening most of the time for you like yeah. the rest of us really you know obviously the pandemic was a different kettle of fish <laughs> yeah. but I think that's why it was so incredibly difficult for people because you were literally told to close your business you had the, that was you know that's what you had to do yeah. and but usually that's that's never been the case ever before whereas yeah. you are at the elements you're at the mercy of mother nature all the time yeah so you're kind of, kind of control of what's happening it must be incredibly stressful. Well, you don't know. You know, you're thinking, well, I hope it's not going to be a really cold winter or I hope it's not going to, like you were saying, yeah. I hope we don't get a flood. But really, you're, you've got to be resilient all th- throughout all the seasons because yeah. you don't know what's going to be thrown at you. Yeah. And you have to work with that, whatever it is. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's something that is, again, over time I've learned. I remember in the beginning when we were a lot smaller, like literally every tiny 
violet plant that we were picking off for the edible flowers I nurtured and loved you know <laughs> every little detail was like I was obsessed with making sure that every line of carrot seedlings was perfectly straight and things like that and you know really obsessive with you know perfectionist and over the years you know I've been like weathered down to understand that you know we we will get crop loss every year and as long as we've got enough and that people who are working here are happy and we can pay the bills yeah. and we've got enough of something else, it will all balance out. Yeah. And um, that idea that, you know, you kind of just got to trust that you, what you're doing is good enough, which is something I think we can all, you know, and I'm learning from it, you know, every day and there's still, you know, massively challenging times sometimes. But I think that, I, you know, the idea of just, if you every day work your hardest, do the best, you know, try and make sure that you're um, showing up, ultimately that is the best you can do and then everything else has to be, look after be. itself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Um, I think trying to look at things in that way is a lot um, better and like healthier than kind of this obsession with this has to be perfect, this has to be perfect, because it can't, like it just physically can't. And, you know, there are a lot, lots of important things at play, not just that every, oh, I don't know. Mustard leaf is exactly the same yeah. size. <laughs> but you know, that's yeah. how it, it. We were just talking briefly before. It's when you start a business, you you want it to be the best it can be. You yeah. strive for it to be the best it can yeah. be. It has to be. And like you said, time is is a great learning tool, isn't it? Yeah. Because you realise that, yeah. yeah. Do your best every day. We're all human. It's all good. Yeah, it's <laughs> yes, all good. It's all good. Um, so you're a, a woman. Yeah. In a male-dominated industry, I'm yeah. presuming, I might be wrong, correct me if I'm wrong, um, how have you found that? How did you find that, you know, when you were at, say, university in America, were you, were, was there lots of women on your course or was there not? Or how have you found that in your experience for before you started Flourish and then since? Really interesting. So the university I went to was very much equal um, and actually I think that really represents the farming in America for the most part, and not necessarily in terms of, sort of like the large scale corn and soy, because I think that's very male dominated, but in terms of the sort of new age of regenerative sort of like new farmers that are coming in, it's very equally um, um, sort of like shared between the genders in that sense. Um, and so throughout my sort of like first years in the States of learning and studying, you know, I. It honestly was not a thing at all. Mm -hmm. I didn't even know it was existed mm. really as a mm. thing. Um, and then coming back to England, you know, a lot of people, I mean, obviously working as a female in a male-dominated um, industry, whatever that industry is, will come up, will, you know, there'll be some challenges. But I actually have to say that I think it's probably in some ways been to my advantage. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I'm really not afraid to say that because I think that... Um, you know, not being, firstly being different to all the farmers around here. None of them are doing the kind of thing that I'm doing. And I think at first I thought, well, I don't actually know what they thought. I assumed they thought I was a bit weird and like this was a kind of a joke. This crazy, crazy girl, girl just come with her horses growing weird vegetables. Um, but now they are all rock solid there when I need help. Um, one of our neighbours, Sam Taylor, he rescued one of the horses out of a sewage tank when we had this terrible accident on the farm. Um, you know, people will come and help whenever. And I think that's amazing. Not to say that that's a gender thing, but it's certainly not sort of like that 
it's a troubling for me to be a female, yes. you know, at all. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, I work with lots of chefs. Um, many, most of them are, are males. Mm. And as of obviously the kitchen's kind of like, tends to be a more yeah, male-dominated yeah. fire. I think there's just a handful of female chefs that I work with. And again, I don't work in the kitchen. I'm a supplier, mm -hmm. you know, and I have those relationships which are different. But I've never had issues. I've never had... Um, you know, anyone sort of underestimate or think less or, I don't know, I, for me it hasn't been a problem, but I can imagine mm. that it could be maybe with other people. And I think it's, a good, it's good to hear because if, to yeah. be honest, me asking that question, I was kind of assuming that you'd, you'd say, well, you know, um, sometimes, you know, so it's yeah. a really positive thing to hear yeah. that actually there's, there's been no issues yeah. I've been accepted for what I do. Yeah. And um, yeah, and I, think, I mean, great. Yeah, I think, to be honest, like the idea of whether I'm male or female has nothing to do with it because, I, and I, that's how I think it should be. It's like yeah. I'm a farmer. Yeah. I grow food I grow and the produce is good food. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And, and that's that. And yeah. it doesn't matter. I mean, yeah. Absolutely. And yeah. that is exactly how it should be. Yeah, yeah. You're right. So hopefully that's, you know, I, I think there should be, you know, lots of females that should not feel. Um, intimidated, intimidated yeah. because I, I've had no issues whatsoever. Great, I love that. <laughs> um, let's get to burgers. Yes, <laughs> that's what we're here we're for. Here that's for. what I like. Um, so, do you like burgers? I love burgers. Great. I feel like they are. I was thinking last night about how I was going to answer this question, <laughs> um, and I was just thinking about what a comforting thing they are in general because it's so. They're unintimidating. They're always delicious. Even a shit burger is still, you know, comforting in itself. Yeah. And I think that it's, yeah, something that we all, everybody can meet on that level of liking a burger. I think so. Yeah. I think so, yeah. Yeah. So, Calixta, what's, <laughs> is there one, there can be as many as you want, There's different, different kind of varieties. So we'll start. So what's the best burger, one of the best burgers you've ever had? Okay. So, um... A really, really dear friend of mine took me to Charleston, South Carolina. Okay. I was hoping you'd say America. <laughs> I was literally thinking, I hope she's got one from America. I do. Um, and took me to, uh, actually it was a barbecue joint that was, um, you know, it was like, you've really got to come here. Like, this is amazing. Mm, I love those. Yeah. And um, so I was like, okay. So went to this amazing uh, barbecue joint and had like, there was out the back, there was this like amazing Whole all like smoky, yeah, yeah. smoky like the place was packed um and there was like all these different offerings and it was kind of intimidating because i didn't you know you know the portions are huge so i got the burger the the barbecue burger and like as a meal and it came with a banoffee pie pudding as well <laughs> oh my days um and had that and it was just amazing and like the just flavors were so good the everything about the bread was perfect it was like juicy enough. The sauces were insane. And I found out after, but I didn't know whose place this was. That it was Rodney Scott's burger. Oh, my God. <laughs> I was thinking, when you were talking, I was thinking of him. We've yeah. just watched a doc like, documentary. Yeah. I don't know if it's on Netflix or Yeah, something. yeah, yeah. We just watched that. Yeah. In fact, I think we've got the book. We've got, he's got a book. Like, yeah. We've got the book as well. So, I, and I didn't find Oh, I didn't my God. That's amazing. I know. And then afterwards, I was like, oh, my God. Like. That, that's where I was. I wish I'd known. I would have like bought all the merch, bought a huge tub of banoffee pie. That's anyway, incredible. Anyway, it was amazing. So 
That was. Well, so, the, was there an actual burger with like brisket? Like, was it? It was like, just sort of stacked up stacked with like up, all the different yeah. bits. Like barbecue sauce, like a loads of sauce, yeah. loads of like I don't even remember the exact topping. Was it mainly was meat? Heavy meat. Heavy meat. Heavy meat. Yeah. And it was just the whole thing was incredible. And almost the best part of it for me was that it was just a American diner. I love American diners, but it was just an American diner. Like everyone was in there having a good time eating. It was amazing. There was nothing pretentious about it, even though it was probably one of the best barbecue places in the States, if not the world. And that's the thing that was so incredible. It was just delicious. It was perfect. Oh, I love that. I absolutely (laughs) love that. Yeah. Oh, amazing. Um, Great. So is that, that's the one? I think that's the one. I just feel like that definitely is the one. I mean, there's been other things. I had a camel burger once. Oh my, a camel burger. Interesting, (laughs) yes. Okay, wow. Um, And... Even, you know, dare I say it, I was never allowed to go to McDonald's in my childhood, mm. <laughs> ever. And I remember, like, from my you know, my dad sneaking us off from <laughs> Mackie D's, mm. um, which is, you know, probably all your listeners are going to be like, oh, my gosh, she's no. not about to say this. No, not at all. <laughs> We've had someone on there saying, like, the best bag I've ever had was a Whopper from, like, 1996. <laughs> like, um, um, you know, it's, it's so personal. But I think the thing is with, with fast food places like mcdonald's is that's mostly people's like first memories of having burgers so it's just a really happy nostalgic memory and it's mcdonald's and there's always a place for mcdonald's (laughs) there's all there there is whether you you know you might think that the burgers are shit or not i kind of feel like it's it's a very it's like a a reference point that most people are going to have and i think that's yeah absolutely okay the Rodney Scott one is next level like I'm so happy you shared that that's amazing absolutely amazing so if ever you're going to the States don't we just I feel like if we went because um yeah Leo's really kind of been getting into but you've been to one of our cookouts for a few years ago didn't you amazing cooking on on fire and stuff like that so we've he's been really into like looking at barbecue and last one we did in fact it's the last cookout we did this summer he cooked a whole pig and was actually watching the Rodney. He wa- We watched that prior to, to work out with like the actual... Oh my gosh. With the apparatus that yeah. was needed because obviously they have it in cages, don't they? And then yeah, they, they flip, s- it. flip it. So that's what he did. He had a cage made and then Whoa. flipped and like mopped. So we were kind of massively taking inspiration from these guys that you've eaten with um, to do this whole hog. That's and so it was cool. incredible. It was absolutely amazing. So... Um, I love that you've just kind of referenced that as well. It's amazing. Thank you so much, Clickster. Thank you so much for having me. It's been so much fun. I know, it has, hasn't it? It's been (laughs) really good fun. I've loved it. So thanks, guys. And join us again for the next episode on Burger Bands. Amazing. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening, guys. You can follow Calixta on Instagram at Flourish Produce. Join me for the series finale next time with a super exciting guest. <laughs>